You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Last night, we had the fourth Republican debate. You know what I think hurt the most is people were tweeting. I was tweeting it a little bit as I was watching. People were yeah. like, what are you watching this on? Where is this? It was on the Fox Business Channel, and I, I knew about it in advance, so I was able to find it. Yeah, sometimes they put it on hard-to-find spots. Yeah, I, I couldn't, and, and then people don't know how to use the guide or Google. Uh, let's go. Every time there is a debate, we're fortunate to have uh, my friend, Mr. Herman Cain. Let's properly introduce him. It's 1025 The Bones 2016 campaign full coverage. It's like listening to a bald eagle wrapped in an American flag eating an apple pie. Very American on this Veterans Day. Herman Cain, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Mike. Before we get started, can I say I wish I could listen to you in the morning, but I have my show. I want to listen to your show for the pure entertainment value. Oh, I can't stop laughing. You listen to me. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, it's great. Uh, well, it's I, great. It's informative. I love it. So forgive me for digressing. No, hey, hey this show is all about digressing, Herman. Trust me. Uh, by the way, we I think I don't think we spoke to you since we had Dr. Ben Carson on the air with us. I don't no, know if you, you were that. Nope. I didn't know you'd been on. That's great. Uh, he, he, yeah, but with my luck, he, uh, we get him on the air, and then two days later, he starts talking all this crazy stuff about the pyramids. Right. And all that yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, can I ask you, what, what, uh, sure. what is your re- religious beliefs? I am a Baptist, which means I'm a Protestant believer, and I've been a Baptist since I was about nine or ten years old. So and for really, 60 years. all that means to me is that see, I'm a Catholic because right. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. Right. So the only difference between you and I is you sing better than I do. We on sing Sundays. better and we make more noise doing service. Right, right which other is kind of that, fun. Other than that, we believe in the Bible. Now, the Seven Day Adventist, which I know he got, Ben Carson got deemed by some people who were questioning that. The only difference between the Seven Day Adventists and you and I is that they choose to worship on Saturday. That's ooh, all. Ooh, that's uh, the only difference. They still believe in the Bible. They don't have a very good marketing tool. That Seven Day Adventist sounds exactly. weird. It sounds it's, like exactly. like Quaker. Quaker sounds like it should be bad too. They like, do need an image uh, overhaul, but, but the, all that's the only difference. The thing is that bothers me with with Doctor Carson is simply that he's a doctor. And I would love to believe, I, I, I do believe in God. I don't really know to what capacity anymore, but I, I, it bothers me that a man of science is so easily sucked into uh, believing th- th- some of the things that have been translated in the Bible over the years that you know just scientifically can't be proven. And uh, some of that is obviously faith, but some of that is also ridiculous. I don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. There wasn't one man who built an ark and yeah. put two of every animal. And I can't have a man running my country who, who believes uh, those sort of things word for word. Well, see, here's the thing. I don't know if he believes it word for word. I am a Baptist, and I've been studying the Bible all my life. The Old Testament is a Old Testament book of history. Then you got the New Testament, which is a new covenant. You have to separate history from what the current uh, covenant ought to be between you and God and Jesus Christ. And, you know, we believe in the, the Holy Trinity. Yeah. So, you no, know, people who say that they believe 
the Old Testament word for word for word, I don't think they really mean that. They use that to try to suck people in. Uh-huh. I, I look at the Old Testament as a historical book. There are a lot of lessons to be learned right. from the Old Testament. But no, if you want to know what it is that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit want you to do, you go to the New Testament. Yeah, it's a good guidebook. Give you an idea guide. what you yes. should be doing. Yes, yes. yes. Because know? here's the other thing, Mike. Nobody is perfect, so nobody's going to keep all of the commandments. So don't judge people based upon the ones that they decide to keep and the ones that they don't keep. I'm not saying that that's a permission slip to break any commandments, but it just says, and it says in the New Testament, all of us have sinned. And all of us are going to continue to sin. The objective is to work toward sinning less. What if we just try and choose like eight of the ten? Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty pretty good odds. Let me tell you, if you can satisfy eight every day of your life, you are close to sainthood. There you go. Okay? I'm about a C minus, much like I was in algebra. <laughs> yeah. I got like a 68. You know, it's still you're gonna pass. Keep it real. Right. I'm not gonna kill anybody. Uh, I don't really steal anything. Right. Some, day, right. some I, days are better than others. I will yeah. cover my neighbor's wife all day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's one of the two you're gonna give up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is Herman Cain. Uh, did you watch the Did you watch the minor league debate? Yes, last I night? watched the f- complete minor league and also watched the major league last night. And in the minor league, I thought that Mike Huckabee was excellent as always, even though he's not gaining any traction. Chris he's not. Christie, he's not because yeah. you can't have a president Huckabee. It's just never gonna. It's never gonna fly. President Huckabee. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's something about the he, name. He misses you know, calling we, back in the eighteen hundreds. We, we were talking about a marketing overhaul. Well, you know, you know, part of it is perception and marketing, and that name just doesn't ring. And then Chris Christie, I thought, did a great job in the debate. But here again, the debate performance alone does not determine how you're going to do in the polls. We're going to have to wait a week to see if any changes take place as a result of the performances on the first one as well as the second one. Galvin calls it the kids' table. I love yeah. it. Uh, and, kids' and, table, happy hour, you know, because it used to be at 5 o'clock, so they moved it to 7. <laughs> so now I like that. It's the kids' table. Uh, it, it was it was interesting. I think I don't understand what Bobby Jindal is doing there anymore. These Certain people just need to bow out at this point and leave gracefully. But uh, Jindal is in desperate mode. That's why his whole strategy was to attack – attack attack he attacked Christie because he went in with a strategy that in order for him to try and get some traction he had to go into attack of any of the other governors and since Christie was there he was the target of his attack but it didn't work no it's not going to cause him to climb in the polls no and uh and Christie I, I was surprised he was at the kids table but I think he the fact that he went in there and and, and did well I think helps him and yep. then in, in the uh in the big show which I thought was was Probably the most interesting one last night. Yes, uh, because there was a lot of a lot of good infighting the way it should be. There was a lot of discussion about the difference between that policies, which I loved, and I'm going to talk about it on Herman Cain's show. That uh, you know, once people get through listening to your show, they can go online at hermancain.com and listen live because I'm going to break down what happened on the big table, and that you know, and that is you know, the winners, the winners, the losers, and those in between 
based upon the issues and substance. The big winner last night was the American public. We learned something about the candidates and where they stand on the most important issues. Sadly, though, sadly, though, when it comes to uh, uh, finances and and, uh, the economy, I don't I think I mean, I I like to think that I'm a little bit above average because I do so much reading about stuff. And still, I had no idea what the hell they were saying last night. Everyone's going to lie their own lie. And uh, you walk away at the end and you kind of go, I kind of like what this guy said. But who knows whatever they say is if they're actually going to be able to implement anything. Well, that's why you listen to the Herman Cain show. Yeah. Because I I connect the dots on the financial stuff and on the tax stuff, especially because that was one of the things that I led with every time I did a discussion about how to what we need to do to fix the country. And the good news from last night is that all of the candidates recognize that it starts with a robust economy. How they get there is different because they have different ideas about how to stimulate the economy. But the good news is, for me, is that they all recognize that that's where you start. I heard uh, everybody was, you were crazy with the 999, but all of a sudden there was a 10-10-10 last night. Oh, yeah, that was a 10-10-10, and then that was a 15, mm-hmm. and a 14.5. Look, I'm just happy that they are addressing it seriously, because here's the deal relative to the tax proposals. Now, some people are going to say that Marco Rubio won the debate. I believe Marco Rubio had more impressive moments than the other candidates. All of the candidates had some impressive moments, but Marco Rubio probably had more. So I'm not going to declare him a winner of the overall debate. That's what, you know, that's what some people in the media like to do. But here's the thing. My biggest ding against Rubio is that he starts out with his tax proposal, which is better than what we have. That is true. But if you put on the table a half a loaf in front of the vultures in Washington, D.C., including the lobbyists and including the the members of Congress, you're going to end up with a tenth of a loaf by the time they get through with it. So that's why I favor the people who put a whole loaf on the table, which starts with replace the tax code. I don't care if it's 10, 10, 10, 15, 14.5. Start (laughs) with replace the whole tax code and you might end up with... 0.7% of a loaf instead of 10%. He's starting with reform the tax code. That's only going to give you a tenth of a loaf. Do you think a uh, a business person in there like uh, Fiorina or Trump would would be better at, at that? Yes, and here's why. They would be better at connecting the proposal relative to replacing the tax code with Main Street America and talking kitchen table economics. That is what's usually missing when somebody goes to the White House. The other thing that happens if you get an establishment candidate, and I've seen this, they get to the White House and their staff plays defense for four years so they can friggin' get reelected. Right. It's not about That's getting reelected. That's the truth. Yeah. So what they what the candidate gets talked out of is staying bold where we're gonna replace the tax code. Let me give you a very real example, very very quick, Mike. When, I, when Mitt Romney got the nomination, I visited with Mitt Romney three times. I suggested to Mitt Romney, you need to be bolder on changing the tax code. I said, Mitt, my recommendation, these are my exact words, Mike. Okay. I said, you need to use the term replace the tax code and stop talking about reforming it. Replace, replace, replace. I said, now, Mitt, you don't have to replace it with 999. I does not care. (laughs) You don't have to replace it with the flat tax. You don't have to replace it with the fair tax. But here's the thing. The flat tax and the fair tax have been studied to death. That's two good options. 
just start saying we need to replace the tax code and get away from all of this political narrative. Yeah. Do you know what his staff did? They talked him out of it. You never heard that from Mitt Romney. He was out there talking about his 27-point plan, which didn't do diddly for the American people. They, they couldn't connect with that. So I'm looking for the candidate that's going to talk, start with the whole loaf, replacing the tax code, and then see what you end up with. Uh, uh, this is Herman Cain, by the way. He's joining us. You can listen to his radio show at uh, Arist, uh, after this show today. Uh, Herman had a crazy idea to run for president at one point, but you can see he's a very smart guy. Uh, I, I thought Trump uh, was a double loser this week. I thought he did terrible on Saturday Night Live. Uh, which is a big deal to uh, to the American people, yeah. Uh, because you, it's true. I mean, sadly, uh, you know, half these people who are, aren't even voting are be like, "I'm going to watch yeah. uh, Trump on Saturday Night Live, and he's going to be my guy." And he wasn't even funny. Uh, and then last night, the the sad reality was, while people were talking about tax codes and economic plans, it seemed to me like everybody's fighting for airtime, and it seemed like he he ran out of things to say within his allotted amount of time. I think he's reached his capacity as to what he can do. He's very entertaining, but I don't think he's got much more than that. See, Donald Trump is in a catch-22. I, I agree with you, by the way. Uh Saturday Night Live was more controversial in the media than his actual appearance, yeah. which it was not all that entertaining. No. Okay, if you're going to go on there, either, you know, don't do stuff that's not going to be really, really entertaining and this sort of thing. So I agree with you on that. Now, in terms of Donald Trump, here's the deal. He was accused and criticized for being boastful, uh, uh, loud talking, rambunctious. The first couple of debates. So now he's toned it down. Now he's going to be criticized that says, well, he's not being Donald Trump enough. But here's the deal. He answered questions that were taken to him, but he didn't come across the way he did in the first couple of debates. Let's see how that translates relative to the polls. And now the biggest the biggest thing that I think is going to hurt Donald Trump is he didn't adequately defend his position on what he wanted to do about uh, illegal immigration. I think Marco Rubio gave the best answer on immigration of all of the people up there last night. When I, he said, "I agree. We 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 got to start at the right point. You don't start with who you're going to deport. You start with securing the border." His answer was the clearest and the most logical of all of the candidates in terms of what we need to do about illegal immigration. And Trump had it right from the beginning, where he wanted to do the same thing by building the wall. And, right. and we're going to demand that Mexican pay, Mexico pays for it, blah, blah, blah. But then last night with that crazy, we're going to go round up everybody. And uh, all I pictured them was the little, little Mexican family sitting in a one-bedroom house eating rice right. and beans, and the doors kick open, and they grab the parents, and it just didn't create a good scene See, for anybody. His, his comeback should have been, that's not literally what we are going to do. Right. That's all he had to say. But he didn't jump in and say that. He allowed those that said that, it's not practical that you're going to round up everybody and boot them out and all this kind of stuff. He let them get away with that. That's where he fell down last night. He should have jumped in and said, well, they're talking about me. Now, let me tell you what. Practically, no, that's not what I mean. And he has never expanded on that. So I think that's going to hurt him. Uh, if you were up on that podium last night and they asked you if you would raise minimum wage, would you do that now? I would say no. No. And here's why. Because I'm not going to compromise my principle. My principle is allow the market to determine wages, period. The fact that we already have a minimum wage, I don't want to go back and undo that. But to continue to say we need to take $7.75 an hour, 
which is a starting rate wage, and this is where the conservatives and Republicans don't do a good job of, of distinguishing between the two, and you're going to nearly double it to $15. Look at all of the damage that it's going to cause if you were to do that. Start with Seattle. They did it. They've already documented they lost 700 jobs. Yeah. You see, liberals and Democrats, they ignore the facts. That's one of my sin tactics that I talk about, Mike. I don't know if I've shared it with you and your, no. your, your S-I-N. That's what liberals do. S, they shift the subject. I, they ignore the facts. And N, they name call. <laughs> Everything that they do against conservatives, you can classify in one of those categories. That's what I do on this show when we have guests on. You oh, sin. Sh- <laughs> I shift it, and I send it, and then I name you, call. You shift, and you ignore the facts, and you name and call. And then I whip and nene all at the same <laughs> yeah. time. Uh, let me let me ask you a little lighter. Yeah. Uh, did you did you enjoy the uh, preview for the Benghazi movie in the middle of the debates? I did. Oh, and great. Th- to be honest with you, it piqued my interest because I want to see how they're going to portray, portray this whole Benghazi thing, given the stuff that we now know about it. Let's face it. The, the liberals and the Democrats are critical of the fact that the that Congress wants to continue to investigate and ask questions. I'm glad that they are, yeah. because every time they do, we learn something else. Now, what I don't know is what did the movie makers know that we didn't know yet that may come out in that in the movie. So I'm curious. I maybe they the got movie. a hold of Hillary's emails and they were able to piece the ah, movie together from there. Maybe that's why it took so long for the government to get them back. They were in <laughs> Hollywood being 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 raked over the coals. Uh, if I this is in my mind i feel like after the debate was over marco rubio got in his car and his cell phone rang and he said hello and on the other end was his father and he's like mijo it's it's too positive and he's like hey papa how'd i do on tv and he goes listen stop telling everybody how poor i was you're embarrassing the whole family stop trying to get the sympathy vote and be happy that you're not poor go fix your minivan with your credit card and stop making the rest of the family look uh I mean, that guy can't even go outside now. He's like, oh, right. already with how poor we were. Okay? Well, it's the first thing out of his mouth. Like, I was waiting to see when he would pull the my parents' report card. It was the first thing he said. You know, my parents. That, that kind of irritates you. Oh my god, it? that he's, he's going to the cafe to get coffee, and they're like, "It's on the house." Yeah, yeah. We right. know. Oh, we know your yeah. history. Yeah, we got it. And well, look, I'm here again. His staff. Look, here's here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. And I know this from from experience. You have candidates against candidates and staffs against staffs. There are two campaigns going on out there. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. The stronger candidates, they basically lead the staff and say what they are and they are not going to do. The candidates sometimes give in to what the staff is recommending. You know, for example, the last debate when Bush was told, Jet was told, attack Rubio. Right. Well, that bomb, he didn't do that this time. You know, and then you had Jindal coming in with the express strategy of attacking another governor to try to draw a contrast between him and another governor. That didn't work. And so he's getting that from his staff that's telling them to do this. And when you end this debate and you're going to get the few minutes that you are going to get, Okay, have a winning strategy. Marco Rubio's winning strategy was, number one, stay positive. Number two, don't attack anybody. You might defend uh, some attack on what you might say or something like that. He kept it positive. 
he was able to give some connect to the kitchen table. You know the one he talked about, welders and philosophers? Yes. That connects to kitchen table talk. I, absolutely. And, it, and, and uh, you know, and it, I mean, that was a great metaphor. And so the more of that that he does, the better off he's going to be. The more that all of the candidates do. But don't start with how poor my papa was. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the other thing is those hard workers out there, those welders and those sort of folks, yes. They look. They needed somebody to because uh, yes. they they're very much like they they you know teamsters. And then they go, hey, finally we got a guy that's speaking about us, the hardworking right. man. Exactly, uh, and that was the point of that comment. And you know he's going to be criticized by those that don't like him, but he's going to be applauded by those that do like him. I think it's a great metaphor. And welders is just a, a surrogate terminology sure. for any hardworking people that are out there trying to make it. You got to connect the political rhetoric that you use. Not the political narrative of the establishment with what I call kitchen table talk and connect the tax plan with kitchen table economics. Yeah, I was I was brilliant. I thought he walked away last night after watching that and, and I said, OK, whether I like him or not, I think he's going to be the guy that at the end of this is going to walk away. But at the same time, that Carly Fiorina you want to get a, you want to uh, get the woman vote. You want to get her. She's a good vice presidential candidate. Uh, she. I thought when she started rattling off the names of the countries and how yep. uh, she, you know, met with P Putin and she knew all these this uh, Arab guy from here and there, uh, <laughs> that that was a little impressive. It was very impressive. Yeah, because uh, you know, a couple of months ago, everybody's like, "Oh, she ruined HP. What is she going to do?" Well, she's nope. she's world uh, known and she's done business in all these places before, which is what we need—a business person who's used to dealing business with these other countries. Exactly, Mike. Don't fall into the trap. She did not ruin HP. That was a piece written by a guy who did a hit job on her performance at HP. But that was another piece written by a guy who was on the board of directors when she was there. He applauded what she did under the circumstances and conditions that she had to do. So, you know, but but the narrative out there is that she ruined HP. No, she right. did not. So I want to set the record straight. Right. Secondly, you're right. I have said, I don't know whether I have said it on your show or other shows, that in fact, she would be a great VP candidate. Yeah. Not just because of the woman's vote, but because she's articulate, she's smart, she would help frame issues and problems and solutions, and she would be a great sports spokesperson. She would be a great spokesperson for uh, what the administration is trying to do. And that's basically the uh, the vice president's job for those four years is to be that right. diplomat that goes over and deals with the other countries. You got it. Uh, and I, I think she she showed last night that she definitely. I the HP thing, by the way. I mean that was what was pinned on her. When oh, yeah. she first came out of nowhere. And, and it keeps circulating because people go back and look those stories up, and that was the headline, and that's just simply not true. Well, Mike, I'm having a great time, but uh, I got another station, or one of our sisters. I don't like that. I got to be honest. With you. I feel me. like you're cheating on wait, me. Now. Wait, <laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> let, we, we haven't had our first date yet, so I'm not cheating yet. Wait let me ask you one quick date. question before you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, I asked Ben Carson what his favorite TV show is. I wanted to know if he which Real Housewives show he watched, and he didn't know anything about it. You watch, You like the Real Housewives of Atlanta, though, don't you? No. Come on. No. What do you watch besides the news? What's your favorite show? Uh, the NFL and the college football games. You don't have any guilty pleasure. I no. don't catch you watching. Oh, no, Ruben. I didn't say that. Oh, what do you? It's what? just not TV, and I'm not going to tell you. Ooh, I like that. Even better. <laughs> even better. This is Herman Cain. He is. I love having you on the show. Uh, hey, Mike, he, let's do it again, buddy. Come like to I town. Said, come to I'm Tampa. I'm coming to Tampa, folks. 
after the first of the year. Stay tuned to the Mike Calter Show, and you'll know we're going to do a live performance we're gonna somewhere s- doing yep. something. We're going to sing Ebony like, and Ivory together. We're oh, yeah. sing, oh, yes. We're going to have Ebony and Ivory. Ivory's going to be our theme song. We're going to light it up with a live performance <laughs> with Herman Cain and Carlton, his game. I'm look, gang, and I'm looking forward to it, guys. You're awesome. Thank you, Herman. Thanks, man. Take Enjoy it easy, it. buddy. Bye-bye. Love All you, right. Herman. There you go. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.